Hello everyone, this is Yulia Strate. Today I'm hosting Ravi Gajendran as part of the Making Remote Work series. My guest, Ravi Gajendran, is a professor in the Department of Global Leadership and Management of the Florida International University in Miami. Ravi focuses his research on remote work, the conditions in which it can support and enhance job performance and productivity, the skills and behaviors required from leaders to build a remote culture and engage their teams, the technology that can support organizations and employees. Making Remote Work is a limited series hosted by skills for mars and led by the organizational design community. We aim to bring expert insights from academia and practitioners and support companies and their employees in this period of massive shift towards distributed work. If you do find these types of conversations useful, you can support the podcast by subscribing to it. To access the video podcast and subscribe for free to my YouTube channel, go to youtube.com forward slash skills for Mars and hit the subscribe button. Alternatively, you can go to skillsformars.com and click the YouTube confirm your subscription button. And now I give you Ravi Gajendran. Hello everyone and welcome to Making Remote Work. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Ravi Gajendran. He's a professor in the Department of Global Leadership and Management for the Florida International University in Miami. Ravi, I'm really excited to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. Ravi, would you be okay to just introduce yourself and your research and tell people what are the questions that your research is answering related to remote work? Because most of the research that you do is in remote working. Sure. So um, my journey to doing research on uh, remote work started with a PhD in organizational behavior from Penn State. So I have a PhD uh, from Penn State. Before that, you know, I was an engineer and then I worked for a couple of uh, organizations, you know, so I've spent my share of time in the corporate world. Uh, I've uh, sold chocolates, I've sold shampoo, so I worked for Cadbury's and Procter & Gamble in sales and marketing. Uh, and I work in Singapore and I had a regional role, so I have an understanding of what happens, you know, uh, in a regional setup as well. Uh, but after that, I decided that I was interested in uh, people uh, rather than selling goods to people. And so I came to uh, do a PhD uh, at Penn State, got one. Um, after that, I worked for several years as a faculty member at the University of Illinois Urbana Champaign. And I moved to uh, Miami, uh, to Florida International University, uh, about two and a half, almost three years now. Uh, my research broadly, uh, you know, ever since I started my PhD, has focused on virtual work. So I'm interested in understanding what happens when people are not all together in the same place at the same time, um, and they have to use communication technology to uh, get work done. So I'm interested in understanding, you know, uh, the consequences of virtual work, both at an individual level and at a team level. Uh, but I'm also interested in understanding how to make virtual work more effective. And, uh, you know, so that's been, uh, that's been what I've been studying. So uh, my, you know, my first uh, research project, my first published paper, uh, looked at telecommuting, uh, you know, remote work, uh, work from home, however you want to call it. And, uh, you know, there we were trying to answer a very simple question. Right? Is this good or bad? You know, does telecommuting help or hurt um, you know, organizations and individuals? And the answer at that point in time was not clear. There were a lot of people who said that you know, telecommuting is going to hurt relationships with your boss. Uh, it's going to hurt relationships with your coworkers. You know, employees are going to slack off, etc. Um, and uh, you know, uh, on the other hand, others were saying that it improves work-family balance. It helps you know, um, you know, other outcomes. And so. Well, you know, my first uh, stab at this was to look at, you know, is this good or bad overall? So I looked at, you know, the literature, I looked at the studies, and I, I published a meta-analysis based on that. Uh, subsequently, I've been interested in questions of, rather than ask, is it good or bad? Because, you know, our study showed that. Uh, I was interested in questions of, you know, how do we make it better? Under what circumstances is remote work better or worse? Um, and so, and, and what kind of work lends itself to remote work, right? It's not just whether it's good or bad, you know, certain kinds of jobs may be better or worse. Uh, so those became sort of the guiding questions behind my research. Um, I also became interested in, uh, you know, communication technology more broadly. So I, I published a paper, you know, linking email overload uh, that executives face uh, with the leadership consequences. Uh, but, you know, so that's been one uh, consistent stream of research. 
another line of research, I mean, I'm, I'm beginning to look at you know, fairness in the workplace. I'm broadly looking at manager subordinate relationships in the workplace, um, including fairness and what happens, you know, um, you know, once the employee leaves the organization, is there an effect of having good leadership at the manager subordinate level? So these are some of the themes, uh, you know, underlying my research. Um, so if you if you if you if you'd like to think about it, my my main pillar of research is uh, virtual work, remote work, virtual teams. Um, a, a second sort of uh, pillar of research is you know manager subordinate uh, leadership at the manager subordinate uh, dyadic level uh, and its implications uh, for organizations. Um, and a lot of this dovetails. So I'm, I I do uh, you know I do examine the manager subordinate relationship in the context of virtual work. Uh, and so I, I, those are broadly the areas in which I play, uh, and that's my research uh, agenda, so to speak. This is this is really fascinating, and I'm looking forward to touching on all these subjects. But I do have a burning question because I, are people uh, reaching out to you right now as an expert to ask, like family, friends, companies that you've worked with, to share what's happening out there in this crisis? Yes, uh, I mean I've been uh, I've been reached. Uh, media organizations have reached out to me. Uh, my university has reached out to me. I've also been approached by uh, a couple of organizations, uh, one in Japan and one in Singapore, uh, to you know understand what are the implications of remote work. You know how how do, how is it going to play out? Uh, so yes, so I am uh, being asked to provide my ten cents worth. Uh, you know uh, on these this topic. Uh, suddenly, it's become with this this is unprecedented it's like it's this global yeah. experiment right like everybody is now working remotely and everybody's trying to figure out how do uh, how do we make sense of this and how do we make this more effective uh, and the, the 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 pandemic that's you know across uh, that's sweeping across the globe is uh, creating this uh, you know really novel experiment i mean it's it's unimaginable that this could have happened even a month you know 6 or 8 weeks ago True. And then I think maybe we would have thought that remote work would be really prevalent in maybe 10 or 15 years. It started to be this way, but now we are all forced to do it. But I'm wondering, because they are reaching out to you, what are their most burning questions? What what are they looking for? Are they looking more for technology? Are they looking more for uh, how to train their leaders? What's their biggest, what are their bigger, biggest questions? I think it's a mix of everything. So people are worried uh, not just in not just the technology in terms of the tools, whether it's Zoom or Teams or what is it, uh, but also in terms of security. So I was speaking to a head of an insurance company here in Miami, um, and because Miami is used to hurricanes, they do have something of a business continuity plan in place. So they so remote work would not be totally alien to them, uh, but. Um, what they're finding out is as they transition to remote work on, on such a large scale, uh, they're having to worry about information security, right? So, they, so a lot of organizations have to worry about employees connecting over personal devices uh, and, you know, over personal networks, uh, you know, exchanging sensitive information. Um, and what does that mean, right? Um, the other issue to think about is people are stressed out. So uh, what does it mean for social engineering kinds of tax? So that's uh, one line of questioning that I've encountered, uh, but more broadly, people are interested in, you know, what do we know, you know, what can we tell them about, you know, how remote work can be more effective? Uh, you know, what do we need to do to make it more effective? You know, what, what's the, are there, you know, is there a checklist of 10 things? Uh, so that's a sort of uh, question, uh, what are the best practices? What can we learn? So those are sort of the questions that I'm sort of addressing uh, as I talk to various people. It it feels like I've been working remote for the past ten years, but somehow it feels like, uh, of course, it's un, it's an unprecedented um, uh, moment, right? We are dealing with a crisis and with a virus, with health and uh, health and safety uh, issues, right, and threats to the to the person. Besides just moving remote, and I feel like there's a pushback. Even my friends who have been working remote maybe for two or three years in this situation, they don't feel happy doing it. They, they don't enjoy it. They want to go out. It feels for everyone like it's, it's a sort of prison. And even if they've been in, in home for three or four days or a week, some are crying, uh, some are depressed, some refuse to understand what's happening. So I think it's, it's as you said, unprecedented. 
Yes. So, so I think that the, you've hit the nail on the head because this is not remote work of three months ago. This is not the remote work that we all, you know, were hoping for and dreamed about. Um, you know, you're right that remote work has taken off relatively slowly. I mean, you know, uh, there are statistics are hard to come by, but most remote work is or telecommuting is done maybe one or two days a week with the rest of the time spent in office, right? So remote work often is a respite from the office, um, you know, for a day or two, and then you get back to office and then you're back to uh, things as usual. Um, but this remote work is very different from the remote work of the past because, as you pointed out, we're doing it under very stressful circumstances. Right? We're worried about an existential threat to our own personal health. We're worried about our extended family members. Uh, we're worried about you know, um, the, what's going to happen in our communities, whether we're going to have a job at the end of it all, if the economy is going to tank. So there are a lot of uh, worries around work itself. So it's not a pleasant time to be doing work. Forget remote work. Right. Um, so now that you're working remotely, many people often have kids home from school. Right. For many people, they're doing remote work for the first first time, and so they have to adapt. So that's a different source of stress. They have to figure out, you know, how do how do we do this in in, in a remote context now? Um, and then they have spouses home who also need to get their work done, and so you're coordinating who's going to take care of the kids while I, you know, take the next call. Right. Um, and you're doing this five days a week. And, or more, and you're doing it in a time when you're forced to be at home. So you have your social distancing, you're at home. And so um, this is not like the remote work that we dreamed of, right? And so this, this is different. It is stressful. It is, uh, um, it's not, uh, it, 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 it requires a different approach altogether. And, and then definitely we will get into it, but I, I think remote work, even in normal times, it has barriers of its own. It has difficulties of its own. It's not that us who maybe have worked remote more know how to do it perfectly. And we have just perfect days at home where we mix and match what we do personally with remote work, but it does have uh, difficulties in itself. So I was wondering if we could talk about the barriers and enablers of remote work in unusual situations. So maybe those who are just starting understand that it's not easy for us either, even if we have been there. It's not the same. And we had, at least that's the norm. What's the normality? And then talking about how it feels right now and how the situation changes. Sure. So uh, there are, uh, so remote work is not for every job. It's not for every person. Uh, it's not for every situation, right? In general, uh, the general sort of philosophy or general thinking around remote work for a lot of managers, for a lot of organizations is it's a benefit for the employee. It's a perquisite for the employee, right? We are doing the employee a favor uh, by allowing them to work remotely. So that's been, and even if you look at like the Fortune 500, um, best places to work, et cetera, um, you know, remote work or telecommuting is often under family-friendly benefits. It's often talked about as a family-friendly benefit. And so that's one starting point. Philosophically, if you think about uh, remote work as a family-friendly arrangement, then you're not thinking about it as something that can increase the productivity of your employee, right? And so uh, there, there needs to be a fundamental, uh, so when, when you have that, that's a first barrier, right? How do you think about remote work? Uh, if, if you think about remote work as something that you do to help the employee, then you're doing it as a favor to the employee. Uh, then you're thinking of, you're starting off on the wrong foot, right? So you have to think about remote work as work, you know, done somewhere else. And that's about it. People will be productive whether they're in the office or at home. But if they're not productive, they're not going to be productive in the office. They're going to be, you know, shopping on Amazon or doing whatever they do, you know, uh, looking busy, right? So uh, the a fundamental barrier is organizational and managerial. And that's a philosophy. It's a philosophical kind of uh, uh, barrier, which is, uh, are we doing the employee a favor? Is the employee going to slack off? You know, it's uh, it's starting with, Know, the worst case scenario, right? So, um, so the relationship with the manager therefore becomes key. The organizational support system becomes key. If the organization thinks that uh, remote work is a productivity enhancer, if the manager believes that remote work is a productivity enhancer, then philosophically they're going to ask the question of how do we enable our employee to work their best when they're working remotely? So then they're going to be thinking about training, about technology, about 
you know, how to train the manager, how to train the employee so that the relationship can be successful. But if you think of it as a perquisite, as a benefit to the employee, as a favor to the employee, uh, you're not going to think about it in terms of how do we make it effective. Instead, you're going to be asking the question of, is my telecommuting employee going to be performing just as well? Are they going to be productive? So the onus or the responsibility shift from the organization and the manager uh, to the employee, right? And then you ask, is telecommuting good or bad? That's the logical question after that. So instead, um, you know, a one, so, uh, a one way to shift this thinking is to say that, look, how do we make telecommuting better? Uh, you know, how do we make it more effective? Uh, let's start with the assumption that you know, people want to work, people want to do their jobs, whether they are home or in the office, they want to do good work. And if that, that's the assumption, how can we then uh, make it easy for them to do their best work when they're no longer in the office? Right? So, um, so in my view, the first barrier is often how uh, you, you view the idea of working from home, from working from anywhere. Um, you know, that's the first uh, idea. Uh, the, second, uh, the second starting point is more sort of local. Okay, let's start with the employee. Let, you know, not every employee might want to work remotely. Uh, a lot of employees uh, like to come to office because of you know, the camaraderie they find at work, uh, because office is a respite from home. Get away from the kids when you're at office. You, know, um, you, you have friends there. You have a social life there. Uh, so office is a source of uh, community, camaraderie, and uh, you know, uh, social relationships, right? And so in that context, um, uh, you know, some employees may actually want to work remotely, but maybe one day a week or two days a week because it allows them to balance you know, their work and family. Or they might want a day off because they want to work on something without any interruption. They want to work at home completely, right? And so, uh, the not every employee wants to work five days a week from home. Right? So, and you have to figure out uh, how remote work fits in with the employee's uh, personality, preferences, uh, you know, how they work, and what work they are doing, right? So, so the so you have to think about the person and you know their preferences, but also their fitness. Not everybody can work in an unstructured environment uh, without monitoring. And so, you, you, if you're an employee who is not very conscientious, you're an employee who is um, not very self-structured. Uh, then the structure of office might be helpful in terms of uh, you know getting your work done. Uh, the second is the work itself, right? So. Uh, not all, you know, so some kind, of, some types of work are better suited for remote work than others. Um, you know, uh, and we've done some research on this topic. Um, what we find is, um, if you're, well, you know, we, we what we found was surprising. We found that, like, you know, working remotely doesn't really hurt performance for most people or most types of jobs, uh, but that certain kinds of jobs are. are you know, have a boost to performance when you do go remotely. So the work itself and whether how effectively or efficiently it can be performed remotely, uh, that's another question. Uh, so in the context of the university, for example, uh, where I work, a lot of admin assistants uh, now are working, uh, admin assistants, administrative staff are working remotely. Um, you know, only, only time will tell whether they could really have done their job just as effectively, uh, you know, away as they would in office. Uh, but there are some jobs that require you to be at work. There are some jobs that are remote work possible with adjustments. And there are some jobs where you know there is it's a seamless transition between uh, working in the office and working remotely. So the job itself uh, and the characteristics of the job are something to be kept in mind. Uh, the third thing is your relationship with your supervisor, um, and that matters a lot. Uh, so how your supervisor thinks of you, what your relationship is with your supervisor, the quality of that relationship, um, and your the uh, amount of time you, you've, uh, or the tenure in that relationship, how much time you've spent with your boss in that relationship, uh, the trust that there is, all these things also likely play a role in uh, the effectiveness of uh, telework or the remote work arrangement. Um, the, uh, and then going up a, you know, a level, you can think of the team itself, right? So uh, remote work is not happening in isolation. You're working with other team members, uh, other co-workers, et cetera. And what is their attitude to you working remotely? So if everybody's in office and you've been given the special privilege of working from home, uh, that creates uh, you know, potential tensions in the office. 
uh, that could create what's known as co-worker resentment. Uh, you know, people saying that, look, you're off and you're doing your job without any disturbances and you can be productive and you can, uh, you can do better than us because you're working remotely. Uh, but we are stuck in the office, we are interrupted all the time, and we have to take on all these things that, you know, you, you're, you're shielded from. Uh, so co-workers also matter. And so um, having uh, some, some sort of fairness in how uh, remote work is distributed across the team could help, you know, sort of alleviate that. Uh, so, and, and then going even one level higher, uh, you know, is the organization, right? So does the organization provide you, you know, the right kind of technology and tools required for you to be successfully working? Right. Do they allow you? To, do they give you a budget for buying a better chair at home? Uh, do they give you a you know a budget for you know for a for a good laptop? Uh, what if your laptop uh, is not working? Can you remotely get help? Uh, so those are other sort of factors that uh, you know are also helpful. But the organization can also play a big role in terms of training. Uh, and the last factor is family. Right? What is your family situation? What is your home situation? Can you have a separate office like where you can work? Uh, do you have good childcare? So when you're working from home, your children are not uh, interrupting your work in any way. Um, you know, and uh, you know, so those are some of the other sort of issues. And so if you, you can think of a host of factors and you can think of ecology around remote work that's needed for it to succeed. Um, and any one piece that's you know, not optimal can throw the whole thing off. True. Now we are all forced work remotely, whether we have some a nanny taking care of the kids, whether we have the chair or the technology, uh, there's no co-worker to resent us because they have to work from home whether they like it or not. So how can research help us now? How can it help those that have never done this before? Because those that have been doing it for a while, I think it's easier for them to adapt. But those that are now just struggling to find a, a corner in their house where they can be uh, work in silence. Um, I, I've heard of leaders that are actually asking people to sit on Zoom the whole day so they can see them, which I'm not sure if it's okay or not. What could we tell them and what would enable this remote work in this crisis situation be more effective and be more accepted and liked? So um, I think the starting point, I think many of the uh, principles that help remote work be successful earlier hold, uh, but some don't. And so it's not, it's not a linear extrapolation saying, okay, we know this about remote work, it's going to work now. Right? So uh, the first thing to recognize is uh, the context in which remote work is being performed. Right? And uh, this recognition needs to come from the employee, but also from you know, the leaders who are leading these remote workers. Um, that you know the context is stressful. That people, uh, the norms of remote work earlier are different from what they are now. So um, make it easier. If you're a leader, I would you know suggest you make it easier for your employees to work remotely uh, by saying that look, it's okay to tell me that you can't work you know from two to four because you're watching the kids as long as you're willing to make it up later, right? Um, it's also uh, leaders should also be proactive in terms of letting employees know that. Uh, we are going to change your objectives in the short term to deal with the fact that you know, now you're trying to accomplish the same objectives we had set earlier using remote work. So cutting employees some slack in terms of you know, performance, uh, their goals, their expectations, uh, even professional norms of communication. Right? Leaders you know, should be more forthcoming in terms of giving employees ways to contact them. Right? And at the same time, uh, giving employees uh, more slack in terms of their availability um, as well as their responsiveness. Right? So uh, leaders should say that, look, I'm available when you want me, uh, but you don't have to be available when I need you. Right? Because you, you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with you know, a difficult situation at home. So uh, we are going to relax norms around uh, you know, how, off, how, how, you, how available you are and how responsive you are. And let's agree on some norms. So that doesn't mean a total lack of norms. It just means as a work group, let's agree on who's got what situation and when, you know, let's have some common time where all of us are available. Uh, but around that, we're okay, uh, you know, in terms of when you get your work done, as long as the work gets done. So the broader point is autonomy. We, we know from prior research that autonomy is a key uh, driver of uh, remote work effectiveness. And uh, translating autonomy into this context means that relaxing norms around how 
you know, uh, just because you're away, I don't need to see you 24 hours, right? I don't need to see you in that Zoom call live 24 hours. Um, I just need you to get your work done and I'm gonna trust you to get it done as a leader. Um, and you decide how you wanna get it done and I'm available to help in, in any way. So that should be sort of the approach here, uh, which gives employee the discretion, which gives employees the discretion they need in terms of getting their work done while dealing with you know, difficult constraints at work. Um, so, um, again, there's also norms of responsiveness at work, like how quickly do you respond to an email? How quickly do you respond to a text message from your boss? The, you know, the leader should let them know that, look, it's okay if you take your time, right? I don't expect you to respond after five days, but you, know, you don't have to respond within an hour either, right? So just get to it when you can, and you know, I trust you to do that. So, uh, so that would be a good starting point for uh, discussions around you know, what to do in this current situation. I also feel that giving them autonomy and letting them be being more flexible and trusting the employees em empowers them as well and makes them more responsible because they feel like, hey, my boss is trusting me. I, I, he doesn't need to see me all day, even though we've been in touch usually in a normal office situation. We've always seen each other, but now he's given me this responsibility. So I think employees will take this responsibility as long as they get into a point where they settle down. They understand what the crisis is, how it impacts them, their family, whether they have food, whether they have a shelter, a job next day, they will settle down and they will start working normally and they will start performing. But giving them autonomy definitely would, would help. At least that's how I felt when I started working remotely. Absolutely. So um, uh, you can't, so, so the remote work changes the nature of supervision or changes the nature of the relationship between leaders and their employees, right? So uh, it has to begin through trust. So leaders have to unilaterally say, I trust you to get your work done until you prove otherwise, right? But often uh, it's, it's the opposite that happens. It's saying that, look, you prove to me that you can work effectively remotely, then I will trust you to do so, right? And so there, there's a subtle shift. Uh, so when you, when you say that, okay, look, I'm gonna assume that you're gonna do your best, I'm going to assume that you're going to get your work done, even though I can't see you. And I'm going to give you the, uh, I'm going to empower you uh, through autonomy, through, you know, I'm going to set objectives for you. And as long as you deliver, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, uh, that would, that would be key. And the key to getting to that, uh, that place is small wins. So leaders need to structure, uh, restructure, uh, you know, uh, deliverables for employees on a day-to-day -day basis, right? At least initially. At least during the time when people are trying to figure out, you know, how to get, do this, you know, do I have a job and things like that. At least on a short-term basis, uh, leaders need to structure objectives on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, remember, that could sound like micromanagement, right? That could sound like the lack of autonomy, but no, it's it's not that. You're you're giving people something to focus on day-to-day -day and deliver day-to-day, -day, but you're not telling them when to do it and how to do it, right? Uh, and when you do that. Uh, People can, if you're giving them, if you're breaking it down into bite-sized chunks, people will be able to deliver more on them, uh, on that, you know, that structured sort of uh, objectives. So then it establishes mutual trust. The leader can trust that, okay, if I tell the employee to do something, they're doing it. And the employee feels that the leader trusts me that, you know, I can do it at a time and, uh, you know, uh, occasion of my choosing, right? And that, those small wins can then slowly cascade down to bigger wins. So that, you know, after one, two weeks, the leader feels that, hey, you know, this is working, right? And it's working without my having to monitor employees on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, but it also means for the leaders, it's harder work. That's what I wanted to ask, because it feels like there's a lot of hardship on the leaders. Yes, absolutely. Uh, because leaders now have to think very, uh, think, have, have to telescope between the long-term and the short-term. So they have to think about the long-term objectives, figure out you know, what really matters, what should be prioritized, and then break that down into what it means day-to-day -day for employees. Right? And that's a very different sort of thinking. When, when, lead, when, when the employees are all around, uh, you, don't need to, um, you don't need to be thinking and planning so much for each employee. Um, you just, if, if something's not working, you can just walk across to their desk and say, hey, what's going on? Um, but now uh, you need to not just plan in terms of the objectives uh, and break them, break the long term down into series of everyday short terms. Uh, but you also need to think about how are they going to accomplish it, right? Uh, how are they going to accomplish it individually? 
how are they going to coordinate with people they don't see around them uh, you know uh, any longer and so leaders have it's an act of imagination and creativity uh, in terms of saying how do i imagine my organization uh, and then how do i make it function when i can't see it so it is hard work and a lot of leaders don't want to do the hard work and in fact uh, the easiest thing as you as you suggested is to have everybody on a zoom call live just like they would be in office just take the office replicate it on zoom right and that's that's not a great idea uh, because it may not work and employees may resent that and so uh, so yeah adapting to uh, remote work is hard work but that hard work has it's it's hard work initially but once you do that it's smooth sailing down the line and when when people eventually when the pandemic is over and people come back to the office if leaders are able to think like that um then you know they even at work even in an office uh, you know things will be easier because they are not because of that shift in thinking yeah i think a lot of the questions were were actually even directed to the guys that are working all remote like Git, gitlab and uh, envision were directed towards metrics which is kind of funny because they they got questions like how will we measure our employees working remotely and then of course like like i would say and you would say that the same way you measure them until now because you are not measuring how many how many hours you've seen them in the office like you're not measuring how many hours they stay live on zoom or or skype or whatever but i i think leaders are feeling that they are losing control because they have their own situations at home with their own families right um uh, their own uh, it issues and connectivity is bad and uh, they've never been in this in through this before they don't know how to do it they are trying to figure out how to do it plus they are losing the power that they had visual the visual power that that they had they had an office they had a nice suit right and then people used to go to them because they were the leaders right and they looked like leaders whereas right now they just look like any other person with a headset so how should they deal with that feeling of loss of power and control so that they don't strangle the employees and they do get the benefits of of uh, of their work and uh, get them performing that's a great question and that goes to the heart of all the trouble uh, or all the managerial resistance to remote work that there has been in the past so uh, a lot of uh, you know uh, there's a lot of anecdotal and qualitative research showing that managerial resistance to remote work uh, is one key barrier to uh, to allowing employees to work remotely and that key barrier comes because of the, precisely the reasons you uh, suggested managers want control want a sense of control want a sense of power uh, they want to feel like they have an empire right at their disposal and so this is uh, this is hard i mean if 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 you are the sort of manager who cannot empower your employees who needs your employ who use your employees as resources uh, rather than as uh, you know people who can help you move your agenda forward if you view them as mere uh, you know cogs in a wheel uh, then you're more likely to uh, you're you're likely to have a harder time transitioning to remote work and you're going to make it for your harder for your employees as well uh, remember it's not about your sense of power or your status that matters it's about the work getting done and if you are uh, if your if your employees are able to get the work done eventually your work gets done in, in your boss's eyes and uh so your employee success is un- unless you're mismanaging completely your employee success is going to translate to your own success and your own success is going to uh, sh- you know show you in a better light uh, your bosses who will appreciate the fact that you're dealing with this challenging situation uh, and still managing to get work done so um, so yes a lot of in, in organizations where there's a lot of slack in organizations where um you know product, lack of productivity can be hidden uh, managers who you know thrive on power and control can get away with that at the cost of employees uh, but now uh, all that is going to be exposed because business the economy is uh, going down and you know people are going to have to tighten their belts and so what's going to matter is can the work get done and uh, <clears throat> managers who uh, focus on their own power on their own control uh, are likely to find that you know uh, their employees productivity and motivation is not going to be as high uh, because they are trying to micromanage them when they are working remotely uh, through zoom and that's or through email and that's not going to work that that's not going to be as effective maybe they should 
start to see this and try to see this as an opportunity to learn another style of management because having multiple styles of, of leadership or management is definitely something that will help them progress in their career as well, right? So this is a good opportunity to learn another style, which means that you're more supportive of your employees rather than controlling them and telling them what to do, but rather there to support their work so they can get it done and then you can all shine together as a team rather than just one person. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's right. And the way you exert, if, if you are the sort of manager who likes to have a lot of control, the way you exert control is through uh, helping structure your employees' deliverables rather than how they do their work, structure, uh, you know, what what they're going to work on, uh, help employees create, give, a, give them a sense of structure um, and uh, communicate with them, right? So you can still feel like you have your empire if you, if you were communicating with your employees regularly. Uh, but giving employees the discretion around when they do their work, how they do their work, um, you know, and how they structure uh, what goes on in their day-to-day uh, life. Talking about communication with the employees, is it better to have one-on-one discussions so you hear what everyone is feeling separately? Is it better to have transparent team discussions so all of the crises and all of the emotions can be let out in a, in, a, in a team situation so everyone understands what everyone is facing with? Do we have any advice that we can give there? Anything that the research might suggest would work better? So I don't, have, I don't know specific research that looks at this one-on-one versus team by dichotomy, but it seems like you have to do both. Um, my own research on virtual teams suggests that uh, manager communication with uh, virtual team members is key to feel, making them feel included. So communication is central, you know, ongoing communication is central to uh, making team members feel fair, you know, included. Uh, and as a result, you know, they, that leads to, you know, better outcomes. Um, so in the current situation where everybody is working remotely, essentially you're, you're dealing with, your leader is dealing with a virtual team. Um, and leader communicating with employees uh, would really matter. And this communication has to be both one-on-one and uh, team directed. So the one-on-one communications is to show that, look, I care about you as a member of the team. I care enough to hear you out, to listen to you, to understand your personal situation, um, as well as address any uh, issues that you may be having with others that you cannot voice out in a team. Uh, at the same time, you also need to have uh, you know, a team-based check-in. Maybe So the daily check-in can be maybe you know, once a day as daily check-ins, that's what I meant. But a team-based check-in can be, you know, Maybe a, once in two days, or or it could even be daily. You could have you know, one-on-ones, which are uh, five minutes every day with each team member. But you could have like a daily check-in uh, at the end of the day, saying, "Okay, how did it go? What do we need to do? Uh, what are the issues?" Um, so uh, these are not mutually exclusive, and in fact, would be mutually reinforcing if done well. Uh, the key thing in team check-ins is to make sure that you know most people have a voice. Um, so it could be that you know in a Zoom-based check-in. It's hard to coordinate turns, who speaks when. Uh, and so the leader has to make sure that um, you know, people who might be missed out or people who would be hesitant to speak up uh, are included in that conversation uh, and have their ideas uh, uh, listened to. Uh, more broadly, when the leader communicates in, and individually with employees, the leader is saying, look, I care for you. Like you, you, you're, uh, you're a key member of this team. Like I care enough that I can speak to you and get your input. Uh, and that automatically makes a member feel like they are part of the team, right? And it automatically makes them feel like, you know, their voice counts, that they can contribute in some useful way. Uh, so th- that's key. That's key, especially when the team can't see itself as a cohesive unit. Uh, you know, and we are, and we are being told to isolate ourselves from others. Uh, you know, uh, it's very easy for the team to be atomized. So the leader has to, has to uh, work hard at re- recreating the team uh, at recreating uh, the team culture, the team climate, so that uh, everybody can contribute and be effective. And then I'm thinking that maybe for the leaders, uh, I'm thinking of some advice where they could actually take time off, where they sit and reflect of what has happened over the day or over the week, and they have maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe an hour in a week where they can look back and realize what they need for themselves so they can get energized, re-energized, and then continue the work that they're doing. Because it's not 
easy to support so many people and have so many calls and host team meetings, share responsibilities, take care of the deliverables, everything happening in a crisis situation again for them as well. So they need maybe a bit of time away to reflect and think about what's happening. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, uh, this process needs to cascade on from upward, from top down, right? So, uh, for example, Facebook uh, essentially told employees that, look, uh, we're going to give everybody exceeds expectations in the next six months, right? A lot of uh, employers have said, we're not going to lay off anybody this year, right? So what the message from the top is, look, it's okay to reevaluate what work is in this context. It's okay to uh, say that, you know, some things are going to get done and some things are going to go by the wayside because it's just too much, right? And so um, when you get that message, then leaders have the opportunity to say, okay, let me step back, right? And let me think about what matters, uh, what is critical for the organization to get through this uh, crisis and what can wait, right? But if, if signal from the top is it's business as usual, but you just have to do it from home, um, then leaders, uh, even if they step back, even if they take those 20, 30 minutes, are going to still feel stressed out and saying, okay, how am I going to do this now? Um, with my team, I can't see my team. I'm not here. How am I going to do this? Right. So uh, stress, yes, those 20, 30 minutes, uh, you know, regardless is, are going to be important. But I think those 20, 30 minutes have to come in the backdrop of the entire organization saying that uh, let's, uh, let's take all, let's all collectively take a step back and figure out you know, what is it like going to be in this new world? Uh, what is possible? What's not? What should we prioritize? What should we let go? And how should we get uh, employees to work? We need employees to work with a sense of commitment, not fear, right? So what Facebook did essentially was saying that, look, if everybody's going to get exceeds expectations, we are not asking you to perform. That's out of the, that conversation is gone. You're all great performers now, right? So let's not think about, you know, evaluation. Let's think about getting the work done. Right? So people are not worried about, do I have a job? Uh, you know, what, what's my boss going to say? Or how are we going to evaluate this person? We are going to be focused on, okay, we are here. We are in this new world. Uh, it's stressful, but let's figure out what to do. Let's get working. Forget about, you know, performance. Um, yeah. Similarly, universities, uh, you know, a lot of universities with face-to-face -face classes have now had to forcefully move to, uh, forcibly move to online, right? Uh, so the universities have told professors, many universities have told professors that your evaluation, your teaching ratings are not going to count towards your overall evaluation. We know it's going to be hard. We know some of you are not going to do as well. And we are okay with that. Just do your best. Right? Which so, is empowering, which is empowering for people because they are given the freedom to decide what to do and how to react. Yeah, and, without having to worry about yeah. uh, how they're going to be evaluated. And I think that's what is needed in the situation where um, you need employees' creativity, imagination, uh, their passion, their motivation to really figure out how to get things done. This is not business as usual. Um, Ravi, I also want to ask you about, and I think you've done some research on this, on um, email overload. I have had a lot of messages, direct messages on LinkedIn or Facebook, where people started to complain that they can't deal anymore with email because the message is misunderstood, right? So far they were writing just short emails and then maybe connecting in a different way or just seeing someone in the hallways and discussing. Now they have, have to write everything down. Um, it's There are emails which are being sent from the boss to the boss of the boss and it's not the appropriate language. So it puts employees in a, in a bad light. Uh, it's too much because some of the leaders prefer to just use email rather than phone or or uh, anything else. Even the employees that I spoke with, some of them said that, how can I reach out by phone? But maybe I'm disturbing that person. They are at home. So wouldn't I be disturbing? And then my question was, wouldn't you be disturbing them if you are in the office? But anyway, they're dealing with email overload and email issues. Any suggestions that we can give on this side? So, uh, yes, e even in the best of circumstances, email overload is a big problem, right? And un under the current circumstances, uh, you know, a lot of people might be tempted to use email rather than picking up the phone or going on Zoom uh, because they want documentary, uh, they want a, a documentary evidence of, uh, you know, discussions, of ideas, uh, or even they want their boss to know that they're working. So if 
uh, if I'm if I'm let's say you're my colleague and we're working on something important uh, and we do it over Zoom, my boss may not know that we talked and we worked on something. But if I do it on email, I can see see my boss and uh, you know he or she would know that you know we're working, right? So also uh, because you have a trail, you can always backtrack and say, hey, you were supposed to do that and you didn't do it. Here it is on email, right? So email. Uh, is useful in some ways uh, in this context where everything is uncertain. Email provides some certainty, uh, you know, it provides black and white certainty. Uh, but it's not, it's not effective. It's efficient, but it may not be effective. Um, it's efficient in the sense that, you know, even if your colleague is not available, you can still, you know, tell them what you want to tell them. Right? If they're dealing with, you know, childcare responsibilities and cannot respond to your call, you can still get something done over email. But it's not effective in the sense that. Uh, if you're trying to do something complex, if you're working on trying to, if you if you both have the same report or the same data or the same analysis, uh, but you're trying to make sense of well, what do we do next, right? Uh, email is not great in that circumstance. It's better to pick up the phone and talk or go on to Zoom and have a video call, talk synchronously to get to resolve that ambiguity. So when it comes to resolving ambiguity, when it comes to discussing complex issues, uh, when you're trying to, uh, when you're trying in a collective way to arrive at a shared understanding of uh, something, um, you know, uh, then synchronous media, telephone and uh, video calls are way better than trying to do it over email. Email is great if you want to convey some information. If you want to, you've written a report, you want people to read it, email is great. Uh, if you're updating somebody about, you know, something that's going on at your end, email is great. But if you're trying to use email to problem solve something fairly complicated, complex, ambiguous, uh, it is very, very inefficient. Right? I, I can understand why people do it, but it's inefficient. Right? And so uh, I think what is needed is uh, teams uh, or groups, uh, the leaders need to bring them together and say, let's agree on how we are going to communicate. Right? And let's agree on some principles. So there is a theory called media synchronicity theory. Um, which which has some very very useful principles. It says that if you are conveying information, like reports, analyses, uh, you know, white papers, email is great to you know get it out to the entire team. But if you're trying to make sense of what that information means, if you don't, if as a team you're kind of confused about what does this mean, what do we do, uh, just get on a call, just get on uh, Zoom and try and uh, disambiguate it, you know, uh, converge on meaning together. And so uh, teams need to have a communication strategy. Uh, your communication strategy cannot be more email. Uh, and so uh, having that understanding of you know, the appropriateness of uh, you know, matching the task to the um, uh, communication medium, uh, having insight into what works, uh, it could be different for different teams. Some teams might do well on email, uh, but it, you know, for the most part, uh, teams need to agree on how we're going to do work and what is working for us. And leaders need to facilitate that conversation. Leaders should not be dictating how the team communicates. Our leaders should be facilitating a conversation so that it organically emerges from the team as to what's the best practice for different types of work that we're doing. How are we going to get this done? Yeah, I was thinking of email because uh, I think there was some research saying that actually moving from email to solving an issue it takes certain minutes, right? So you read the email, maybe you solve that small issue, but then to move to another task, it takes you some time to get efficient, right? So you might lose hours in a day just just working, moving from email to solving some something else. Why? And while in while we are in this situation and with the extra crisis on top, it might be even worse because then a kid might come by and then it's it's it all crumbles down very easily. Yeah, so it might be useful to use other tools like Slack or Teams or whatever to solve issues that can be solved outside of the email. Yeah, so, so the general principle there is email is a interruptive form of communication when you're doing sort of, you know, thoughtful work or deep work, you're, you're in, in, in engaged in deep thought, um, then any form of interruption, I mean, it could be an instant message, it could be anything else. Uh, if it takes your attention away from that task, uh, it takes a while to come back to it. And then you might have lost your train of thought. You've got to re-engage with it and so on. So um, what, what really the broader idea here is if you are working on something that's you know, complicated, complex, deep, that requires you to think about it for a few hours without any interruption, um, then you need to isolate yourself from all forms of uh, communication. You need to find a space when you can do that. 
And so part of it might be to you know, wake up early in the morning when there's uh, no disturbance or you know, after the kids have gone to bed or when all your coworkers are sleeping. Um, you know, so that's one way of doing it. Uh, the other way of doing it is to just you know, uh, convey to your coworkers that, look, for the next, uh, this afternoon, you're going to be working on something important. Uh, so I'm not available. Right? And so that goes back to my earlier point about norms of availability and responsiveness. Right? Can you uh, say that I'm not available because can you agree with your boss and your team that you know, I'm going to be working on this project. It involves thought and I'm not going to be available for the next three hours. So don't expect me to respond in the next three hours. Right? Or maybe you know, uh, if the norm is that you, people trust you to respond when you can, then you can find that space without even having to explain yourself to anybody. Right? So that would be the ideal state. Uh, but the general principle is about interruption. If you're working on something and you're, you need that requires deep thought, any form of interruption, whether it's Slack or whether it's an email, is going to take your concentration away from that, and then you know it has these uh, negative effects. So the best the best advice would be just shut everything down while you're doing deep thinking work, and then turn everything on or whatever you're using, and then you can you can bounce back and forth. But while you're doing deep deep work, just just shut everything off yes it, it's very hard i mean uh, it, it is it is really uh, this sounds like a simple idea but it's not easy it's just not easy to do this True. especially at a time when both family and work are sources of interruption right so you're at home kids are out or your partner is out uh, they want to have coffee with you uh, and you're saying no like you know you're closing this door uh, it's very difficult, especially in a time like this, when you need to be connected with people around you because they are going crazy themselves. True. And then on, in all honesty, it took me a year to learn how to work remotely 10 years ago. And I had to negotiate this distance as well, because for the ones that are at home, it feels like you're at home. You are, you are there, you can talk, you're available, and exactly. it's not that easy. So you do need to negotiate with your family as well. Yes, absolutely. My wife and I have negotiated that over many years. <laughs> Ravi, we spoke about a lot about the leaders and about the employees. Um, one last thing that maybe we can give as advice to HR. Can they do anything to support their leaders and their employees? Anything to help them focus more, be more productive, help them help leaders support their employees, maybe trainings, maybe any sort of communication that would help. Yeah, so HR needs to think about remote work like it would think about training them on any other skill. So remote work does not happen by just employees going and working remotely. It needs to be uh, facilitated. So the ecology that I referred to earlier, HR needs to be thinking about the different elements that support uh, the remote work uh, infrastructure. Uh, and HR can take the lead here, right? Yeah. So in a lot of companies, IT takes the lead or facilities management takes the lead on remote work. Um, but HR has the opportunity to take the lead on remote work uh, by saying, okay, what is it that we know from research? What do we need to do to facilitate this remote work? Uh, you know, so what, what, how do we design, how do we train managers to think about remote work? Um, how do we train employees to uh, be effective when they're working remotely? Uh, how do we you know, get employees the right tools and techniques? So HR has, a, 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 a HR, this is an area which is a bit of a vacuum that HR can take over and create sort of like a blueprint uh, that looks at all these different elements that would help the remote work arrangement succeed uh, and facilitate that. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. Do you yeah. want me to? And then, then I think it's important because I've seen what I've seen is a lot of trainings on tools and technology, but I don't feel that it's only about uh, tools and technology. That's one thing, but you can even deal with what you have right now, just using them to the maximum, because most companies have, uh, right, the phone, uh, they have a sort of Skype or Zoom or whatever, they can even go on Google Hangouts. There are free solutions that you can use if you don't have something that is already in place. Uh, Slack is there as well, which, which, is, uh, which is free. So you can jump on different solutions and quickly learn how to use them. But I think it's also a, a thing, uh, it's also about culture, it's also about mindset, it's also about allowing them the time, as you said, to, to get through this period and get accustomed to working remotely, get accustomed to the crisis, get accustomed with the family, and supporting them through this period more than just tools. Absolutely. So uh, tools are, are important. They're uh, necessary, but not sufficient. So um, the larger issues around uh, you know, how, 
organizations and managers view uh, remote work, whether they view it as a productivity enhancing uh, arrangement or whether they view it as you know, a, a favor that they're doing, I think makes a big difference. So if they view it as a productivity enhancing arrangement, then they're gonna say, okay, what can we do here to make this employee more productive, more motivated, more efficient, more effective? Um, and, and so then the discussion is gonna be going away from just the tools to thinking about the entire system and saying, okay, what do we need here? As, you know, thinking more systematically about it. About uh, their experience. We, yes, thinking about their entire experience uh, and thinking about you know, uh, how do you supervise in the context of the employee working remotely? Uh, how do we set objectives? How do we set how do we uh, set expectations? Right? How uh, you know what what are the norms of communication? Right? How how is, if the employee runs into any difficulty, uh, how do they reach me as a manager? Right? Um, you know those sort of things become more critical uh, than the uh, you know the, the tools themselves. Because yes, you're right. Uh, in today's world, with broadband internet availability being widespread. Uh, with computers, with laptops being, uh, you know, everybody having, a, almost everybody having a laptop, at least in most organizations. Um, the, the, the technology and the tools part is uh, important, but, uh, you know, other things really, really matter. And I'm also thinking maybe even trainings on communication, on how to write and be very specific in your writing, how to state an issue in such a way that it's directly understood versus misunderstood. That might also be helpful in this situation. And I know it they have to do it all at once because yeah, we are just stuck at home. But it might help and might ease the pain of the employees and the leader and their and their leaders. Absolutely. So it's important to remember that when you're communicating over email, especially. Um, so there's some research saying that if you communicate uh, you know, good news over email, uh, if you say, you know, you did a great job. Or email, it sounds like, oh, you did a great job, right? But if you say, if, you, if, you, if you're communicating, you know, criticism or negative feedback, if you say, you know, I, might, I think you might want to reconsider that, it might sound to the employee like the world has crashed around them and that they're the worst employee. So good news gets attenuated, bad news or, you know, so... That's you know, exacerbated. Yeah, excess, exacerbated. So negative stuff becomes even more negative over email. Positive stuff sounds less positive over email. Right? And so that's important to keep in mind as you're communicating over email. Uh, and so sometimes it might be better to just pick up the phone and you know get your uh, get your point across. Definitely. So if we have to sum it, if we have to sum it up, it's autonomy, trust, communication, freedom, system thinking, the mindset, system thinking, shift in, mindset, shift in the paradigm around remote work. Uh, thinking about the ecology of remote work and that it takes, like it takes, you know, uh, a village to raise a child, it takes, you know, an entire ecology around the remote work to make it successful. So it's not just any one element, but all those elements that you mentioned are important in, in the equation. Perfect. Ravi, did I forget to ask you anything or something that maybe you would have liked to mention? And I think you did a great job. I think you covered all the key uh, points that I've been thinking about in terms of this topic. Um, I think the one thing to keep in mind is, um, you know, it's don't just say, okay, what worked in the past in terms of remote work, we can apply that directly now. Uh, you have to be an informed consumer of the research that's happened in the past, which happened in a different context. And often with remote work arrangements that involve people working one or two days a week, not, you know, full-time remote uh, in, a, in a different difficult situation. Some of the principles will transfer, but not all. And so uh, this is a new world. And I think, you know, uh, once we are past this, uh, we might come to a place where, uh, you know, most employees are going to you know, think about remote work as, you know, work, right? And most managers are going to say, yeah, I think it makes sense for this employee to work remotely. I think I'm hopeful that this would lead to a shift in mindset where people recognize that just because somebody is working remotely, they're not slacking off, they're, they can still get their work done. And people will rethink a lot of jobs, uh, jobs that they thought would be impossible to be done remotely. Uh, people would be more willing to consider those jobs as uh, you know something that you know is remote possible at least for a short term. So we may arrive at a very different understanding and a very different place uh, around remote work. Maybe you know at the end of it all. So there might be a silver lining here. Yeah, and then I I do hope that you will get quite a lot of data out of this 
from email exchanges, from just questionnaires and interviewing people ab- about this situation, right? So we can make out, yeah, we can make better research and understand exactly what's happening and how we can transfer and what kind of jobs we can transfer remotely, what not, and how we can support them better. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to doing, uh, you know, some data collection around this time. Perfect. Ravi, thank you so much for uh, for this podcast. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and looking forward to your research. It was a pleasure to uh, be here and to be chatting with you. Uh, thank you for uh, you know taking the time. Thanks. Have a nice afternoon, Ravi. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, bye-bye.